Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? The myth of balance. So we all have this idea that we can or should, even worse, be able to achieve a work-life balance honestly, a balance in so many different areas of our lives. And I think rather than going for balance, a more achievable idea is harmony. Because when we work in a harmonious way, we get what we need. When we work in a harmonious way, we may be doing a big push for something, and then we rest afterwards. I have a relatively new client, and we had a huge win on Monday. It was so exciting. And it meant that I had a 14 and a half hour day on Monday. And to achieve our win, it was like a big adrenaline push to get through to the end. And on Tuesday, I realized, whew, I was just exhausted. I didn't have much bandwidth. I didn't have much physical energy. And I ended up canceling a call that was supposed to happen towards the end of my day. And I came home and I took a nap. And then I scheduled it so that the next day, I didn't have to do anything until about noon. So that I was able to get up and recharge myself. And so I think that idea of harmony instead of balance is a much more achievable goal. Because honestly, I think balance is a myth. Which brings me right to our guest for today. Eva Medelec is a certified high-performance coach an international speaker, a number one best-selling author, and a cultural inclusivity trainer. Eva and I met back in February of 2022 when we both had the honor to be speakers at the U.S. Navy's first summit on diversity. And more recently, Eva invited me to be a guest on her radio show, This radio show is awesome, guys. It's on the Voice of America's Influencer channel, and her show is called What's Important Now? Making Time for What Matters. Isn't that awesome? What's important now? Making time 
for what matters. One of the things that I really love about Eva's work is her specialization in helping busy professionals have more time, money, and success without sacrificing health, well-being, and relationships in the process. In other words, how to have it all without sacrificing it all. Welcome, Eva. Hi, Janine. So excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, you're so very welcome. So let's hop right into it. I'm going to begin the way that I often begin, which is what is something that you have become aware of that people are not paying attention to, either intentionally or unintentionally, consciously or unconsciously? And what is the cost of that inattention? I think people aren't paying attention to, like you said in your opener, in the reset button and learning how to recharge. I mean, if you look at a NASCAR race or the Indianapolis 500 and those cars are racing at dangerously high speeds, trying to win the race or at least finish it without crashing and burning. And I remember I used to think when the lead car that was ahead would stop for a pit stop, my thought was, Why are they stopping now when they're ahead? Aren't other people going to pass them up? They're going to lose. Like this seems to be like nothing's wrong with the car, but they know how important taking pit stops are so that they can continue to race at peak or high performance, if you will, without crashing and burning. And what I find is most of us are racing nonstop, trying to do everything we can to get ahead, trying to please other people working on other people's agendas and priorities, trying to do it all so that we can have it all. And we're afraid that if we do stop or slow down, we're going to fall behind and lose. So imagine what it's like if you were to take strategic pit stops or resets throughout the day before you ran out of gas, before the tires blew. Because what we're trained to do is we get tired, we push, and then we stop and rest. We get hungry before we eat. We don't eat for fuel and performance. We wait until the tank is empty in all areas of our lives before we wake up and realize, wow, I probably need to stop and take a break now. But you can continue that performance consistently if you were to take these strategic pit stops, if you will, throughout the day, you can end the day as strong as you began it. And I think people don't realize that we do that for our cars, maintenance, but we don't do it for ourselves. I love this distinction that you're creating. And I will own up, I will confess. So a very good friend of mine used to always say, like, you are a Maserati. You are a high performance car. And the problem is you're treating yourself like you are a Kia. I've heard that before. (laughs) Right? And so you drive yourself until the wheels fall off and then you're just done. You're just dead. The car, the engine has fallen out. You're just completely dead. And it used to be that my default was always, I got it. Whatever it is, I got it. I can handle it. I'm on top of it. I am completely calm, competent. I got it. And it would be like, I got it. I got it. And such that eventually I didn't got it anymore. I was over my head. And then 
be like, I don't got it. And then it would be a crisis. Then it would be either, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed or my engine would have fallen out. And I would be completely out, not only out of gas, but like my engine is on the ground. I need a long break to recharge. That's how a raise. I'm sure everybody listening right now is like, yep, that sounds like me. You might remember this commercial. It was back in the late 1970s, early 1980s, and it was this perfume commercial. And it had this catchy little jingle. And the woman comes out in three different outfits. I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and never let you forget you're a man because I'm a woman. And the tagline was, the eight-hour perfume for the 24-hour women. So subliminally, those messages that in order to have it all, the career, the domestic life, and the sexy entertainment life, that we have to be it all and do it all too. But what has being it all and doing it all, what is it costing us? I mean, one thing I realized about that commercial at least we'll smell good as we work ourselves to death, right? (laughs) Most of us are going through life right now, feeling stressed out, burnt out and overwhelmed. And what it does, it's affecting our mood. It's affecting our health. It's affecting our interactions with other people because we're always busy. We're doing a lot. It's exhausting. And we're doing so much to keep up with the demands of our work life and our personal life that is actually taking its toll on both. And because we expect, especially women, I feel more than men, we feel that, well, we're supposed to be able to do it all. We're super woman until we can't, until our adrenals are blown out, until we start having headaches, until we're snapping at the kids and the husband. One of my friends used to say, I got one nerve left and you're standing all over it. (laughs) People are getting on our last nerve. So we're sacrificing trying to achieve all of our dreams in life. We're sacrificing the very things that are important to us. So it's not that we don't have to sacrifice. The title of my program is Success Without Sacrifice, but we're sacrificing the wrong things and it's hurting us in the long run. Yes. And we are recording this as we're, I don't know, a week past. I'm losing track of time. There's something happening every day, babe. So I'm sure you're on it. (laughs) Yes. And the overturning of Roe v. Wade, I think is one of these things that is having an impact on especially women. Certainly some great men too. I have a friend who I have known, his name is Barry Gurren. Shout out to Barry. He and I have known each other since the mid-1980s in New York City. He is a gay man. The issue of abortion and a woman's right to choose has very little to do with his day-to-day life. And yet, he has been posting, especially on Facebook, about how this feels to him. Obviously, as a gay man, he has experienced instances of being overlooked, being feeling like a second-class citizen, not feeling like he was being honored in the way that all people want to be honored in the world. 
And here women are in the United States often feeling now like we've just gone back 50 years. We've just taken an enormous step backwards. And as you said, there's something happening every day, whether it's in your personal life. I just lost a very good friend to pancreatic cancer or whether it's what's happening in the world. And we're still living through COVID. I had three friends test positive for COVID in the last week. So not only did we grow up with that myth of we can bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan and never let you forget you're a man. I did not remember that that was for a perfume commercial. That concept has become so iconic. We've lost track of even what it was that they were marketing. Yeah. And we as women, because I have to speak as a woman because that's who I am. We're proud that we're super women. We wear it like a badge of honor, like martyrdom, if you will. I can do it all. I can take care of my family. I can work. I can still look hot in the process until I literally collapse from exhaustion, which is part of my story. But I want to share something with you that I recently learned. You may or may not know about this because you talked about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Back in 1987, there was a book written called The Birth Dearth by Ben J. Wattenberg. And you can't find that book now. It's out of print, but I was able to find it online and download it. And so that's what I'm going to be reading very shortly. But I saw a YouTube interview of Jane Elliott, the blue eye, brown eye experiment. And Jane talked about this three years ago. This gentleman was an advisor to many presidents, especially conservative presidents, if you will. And he basically was bringing to light the fact that the problem was there are not enough white babies being born. And what the fear is in white supremacist society and communities And this is no news to anybody that black, brown and other immigrant people will outnumber the whites. I mean, that's been the fear among whites for many, many years. They're going to outnumber us. So one of the things he proposed was, well, here's the thing with abortion, because this book was after Roe v. Wade, 60 percent of the abortions are performed on white women, which means 60 percent of the babies that could be contributing to the white race. We're not making it. So here's the thing. What he said was we could, like in Europe, pay them to have children, but that would mean we'd have to pay black and brown people too. So that's not going to work. We could open our borders for more immigration, but that would mean more black and brown people would immigrate to the United States. So that's not going to work. So the mission has been in the conservative party been their number one focus for all of these years has been to overturn Roe v. Wade so that they can increase the white population. So everybody's focused on underserved communities, right? And what's this going to mean to poor people and black and brown people and people who can't afford and people who are victims of abuse and violence or people with health conditions who really needs to be scared as white women. Okay, because this is a direct response to what Ben Wattenberg calls the birth dearth. Holy shit. So 
all of my longtime listeners know that I have a policy about swearing, which is I never <laughs> How's swear. How's that working out for you, Janine? <laughs> it's working out fine because my policy is I never swear for effect. Like, oh, she said a bad word. I swear for accuracy. So my reaction to that is holy shit. And if you're on Patreon, you just saw my husband walk into the room, even though my background is blurred, you could make out that there is a dark skinned man suddenly in this room because my husband is black. Holy shit. I had never heard that. And I'm going to go check that out. There will be a link to that in our show notes where you can go find that book or whatever is available online. Well, go to YouTube. You actually Google Jane Elliott birth dearth. She did an interview with someone and this was only three years ago, I believe. We've got to do our research guys in a lot of areas because we're being led by popular conversation. Let's put it that way. We're being led by popular conversation and that's what we tend to focus on. But when I saw this clip, I was like you, like, oh my God, this is the underlying fear of conservatives, of evangelical conservatives. Of white supremacists. Yes. Same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing. (laughs) That the white population is going to be a numerical minority in this country. Well, right. And we are. Let's get real about it. We are. Eventually the way that things are going. Already, you and I are in California. You are in Northern California. I'm in Southern California. California is now what is called a majority minority state, which means that there are more people of color and people of non-Western European descent than there are white people who look like me, blonde hair and fair skin, blue eyes, So this is the trend. Yes. And that is the major fear that's all tied to power. But when you look at how long that they have been, it's been their agenda to change the makeup of the courts to rule. Who was the woman that was running for something and Trump was at a rally with her and she said it was a victory for white life? Right. Yeah. And I was like, Freudian slip much? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Because, of course, I spent the first 20 years of my life working for social change nonprofit organizations. And so I am inherently concerned about, let's face it, women like me with access to wealth and money, we're going to be able to get abortions. You can still get an abortion in the state of California. California is going to probably codify in November itself as a safe haven for people who who need abortions to codify that right to choose what happens to our bodies and for young people for poor people of any nationality it becomes much harder to access those resources and so that has been the focus of my anger and my fear and my frustration I had never heard this. And I will note, there is a large majority of poor white people on government aid and assistance. So this affects them as well. But as we all know, just the color white, just being in a white body gives you 
privilege and supremacy, if you will, if you look at the makeup of those who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. So my point being is that they really want to make it harder for white women to choose end their pregnancies or to choose when they were going to be mothers or to choose how many. I wrote an article on LinkedIn called Jesus in the Klan. If you look at the white evangelical Christian communities, multiple babies are a thing. They take be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth quite literally. If you look at the Duggar family who got their own show, 19 Kids and Counting, and how it is about keeping that white race as a numerical majority and the fear that it will not be if the liberals, if you will, accept everybody and if equal rights are passed. It's a huge fear in that population to lose power. And if you watch the January 6th committees, power is the motivating factor. Absolutely. I am of two minds at this very moment. I'm like, do I want to keep going down this path? Because this is a revelatory path for me, and I'm sure for many of our listeners, certainly not the idea that white supremacists are afraid of losing power. Certainly not that white supremacists are afraid that this whole ridiculous idea that black and brown people are trying to like take over and these crazy myths that are out there. And part of my work and part of your work is around inclusion and around belonging and around creating places where it's not only safe, but it's great for everyone to belong, that we're creating organizations and places that are about belonging. Whether what you do is make shoes or make widgets or help make the world a better place, what your organization is about working with a trash company, what they are about is having their employees be empowered. The former CEO of Blinds.com, his mission for the company was to have his people be the best people they could possibly be. Had nothing to do with Blinds. And so on the one hand, I want to go down that more positive road. I also want to explore with you a little bit more around how you help people have it all and not sacrifice themselves. Because I know for me, that has been part of my journey over the last couple of years, really trying to carve out time for me to recharge and rejuvenate so that I didn't end up with my Maserati. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kias need love too. Kias do need love. I have to say, Janine, they are all connected. Because if you look at the climate on social media, we are so exhausted with the news and with the challenges health-wise, the economy, the gas prices, the wars, the lying, the power, the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, all of it, that It's actually impairing our ability to show up as our best selves because of this level of exhaustion. So that's why preventing and reversing, if you will, burnout is so important. It's so important for us to have the energy, the mental, the physical, but more importantly, the emotional energy to have the adaptability 
and the resilience and the skills to create safe and inclusive spaces wherever we are in life. So it all goes hand in hand. If you notice the language being used on social media to people who don't share your opinion about Roe v. Wade or about defunding the police or about Black Lives Mattering is hateful language or it's shame, blame, guilting language. It's not language that is seeking to understand what is the underlying fear or motivation or concerns that you hold your beliefs to? What are you afraid of? What is the fear? Help me understand more. And that's a skill-based communication effort for sure when it comes to that. However, for us to be able to be in a place to practice the skills that we all know, like be kind to people, it doesn't mean that they need to stay in your spaces. Friends are only friends for a season and they have a specific reason for being in your life for that season. And they may not, I mean, I lost friends after George Floyd died, like 20 plus year friends because they didn't think my life mattered. There is a quote by James Baldwin, and I'll look it up and share it with you. He said, we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. But it still doesn't give us the right to threaten people with violence like we're seeing in the people in power who are bullying other people who want to do in their mind is the right thing. So for us as leaders, for us as leaders of our families, leaders of ourselves, leaders of our communities, leaders in our communities where we get a chance to role model behavior, you want to look at literally the great influencers, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, what they all had in common that had them influence the masses. And they really taught people how to think, not what to think, but how to think. And that's what missing. They role modeled the way they challenged us to be better. They challenged us to be outside of our comfort zone. They challenged us to take a stand. But what the energy that we have behind us to do that, to show up as our best self, to be influencers and role models We can't do if we're burnt out, overwhelmed and exhausted and we're hangry, I like to say. (laughs) There are times when I feel like giving up all the time and I know that, all right, what do I need to do to create even more energy? Because sometimes I'm going zero to 60 and I'm not cruising around at 25 miles an hour and preserving gas. So what do I need to do to perform better and really be conscious of that and not be on all the time? So we've got to get clear. I call it my CPR of high performance. We've got to get clear, prioritize, and take responsibility of creating and setting boundaries that support our values and our priorities. So that's clarity, priorities, and responsibility. Those are the basic foundations that you're going to build your high performance life on. Because if you're not clear and you're running here, confused minds don't buy, right? (laughs) And I love that. And when you brought up Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa, the other person who always pops into my brain once you start going down that road is Gandhi. And those three people in particular, they were standing up against oppression, standing up against 
the patriarchy, standing up against the forces of evildoers that were happening in the world, in their societies at those times, and coming from a place of all three of them were grounded actually in what I think of as the religion of love. In they were all deeply spiritual people, deeply religious people, and not coming from a place of shame and blame. And goodness knows, in all religions, you can find a lot of shame and blame. There's plenty of that. You can also find love and grace and curiosity. And when we lean into that side, I think it then becomes much easier and more possible in ourselves to access that CPR that you are talking about. When we come from love, when we come from curiosity. It's funny, my guest yesterday, she actually challenged the leaning in because we've got to lean outside of our box of comfort. A lot of these religious concepts, depending upon how you grew up, they're deeply embedded in you. Let me tell you, the Catholic guilt, and I haven't been Catholic since 12 years old, into my 60s now, it never seems to go away. <laughs> the Jewish religion, I was on a webinar with a friend earlier, and she was talking about the Jewish guilt. I mean, everybody has their own thing. We've got our own special way of dealing with what was built in us foundationally that we're in a constant battle with, if you will, to lean outside of that, because that's a box of our comfort zone. It doesn't mean that we don't know. It doesn't mean we like it. It just means it's exactly Right. I mean, just like there's a lot of people who stay in abusive relationships because that's what they grew up with and that's what they know and that's what they're comfortable with. They don't like it, but they know it. It feels familiar to them. And so to lean outside of the box, if you want different results, you've got to do things differently, right? So what are the things that we can do differently that will have us showing up as our best and highest self in every area of our lives? What do we have to do to take care of ourselves? Because self-care is not separate from productive action, first of all. It goes hand in hand. And until you know that you're in a space energetically, emotionally, and physically, because this is draining on all three levels, then you can't show up as your best and highest self to have that level of influence and impact and courage in your leadership. So let's get into the cross-section between where our lies, where our feelings like we should be pushing lies that comes right up against our need for self-care. So as an example... I realized I was supposed to do a planning retreat with one of my coaches the end of last year, the end of 2021. And unfortunately, she had an accident, broke her elbow. And we were going to an Airbnb that was beautiful and by the water, which is part of what recharges me being by the water. And I couldn't get my money back. And so I thought, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to the beach by myself for a few days. And because what was still in my head was like, this was a work thing. I brought all like work clothes 
And then I got to the beach and I was like, I mean, it's the end of November. <laughs> so it wasn't bathing suit weather, even here in Southern California. But like I needed sweatpants and sweatshirts and fuzzy socks. So I went to like Ross or Marshall's or one of those places because I don't need any more. I have plenty of those clothes. I just didn't have them with me. So went and got some of those clothes. And then I read, I think, three novels in four days. That was like what I did. I just read for fun. And I took walks and I ate yummy food. And I got to be all by myself. No husband, no dog, no cat, no kids, no work. Sounds yummy. (laughs) Right? And I came back with this feeling of rejuvenation. And I realized I need to build this into my work. I need every few months, three months, four months, once a quarter, sort of whatever I can figure out, I need to have that getaway. And then I was talking with another friend who's a coach and I was talking, this was almost a year ago, and I was talking about how excited I was about vacation because during COVID, I had a chance to take a vacation. I hadn't been able to go anywhere. And for me, like a staycation It just does not do for me what a vacation does. And almost always a vacation for me is by my friend, the ocean, the sound and the smells and the ebb and the flow and the kids running around like the ocean for me is my source. So I was going to the ocean and I was going to be with my cousin and my husband and I was so looking forward to it. I couldn't wait. And I was telling him about all the great things that were then going to be possible for me because I had this vacation. And he said to me, like, okay, I get it. And it's going to be a great vacation. You're going to have a great time. And there's no way that one vacation for 10 days is going to provide for you all the things that you need and all the things that you're thinking like are magically going to be able for you to create from this one little period of rejuvenation. So what if a couple of days a month, like on a Thursday, you blocked out your Thursday and you went to the beach? And so I was like, my first thought was, can I do that? That feels naughty. That feels... Like, but of course I can do that. I own my own business. I've owned my own business for almost six years. I'm my own damn boss. I can do whatever I want. And most months I don't get to the beach twice. Some months I don't get to the beach at all. And it is in my calendar every month, every week. It's called Thursday time. And I don't talk about it very much because I still have this feeling that I'm being naughty, like I'm skipping school, I'm playing hooky. Yeah, like I should be doing, I should be productive. Yeah, you're shooting all over yourself. That's a real concern with people who are creative and productive and actually thrive off of what they do. It's not like we're in a nine to five and like, oh, I gotta go to work. And so those vacation days would be like, hell yeah, there'd be no guilt over that. You and I chose to do things in life that lights us up 
that we enjoy that makes a difference and have an impact. I have a PDF kind of ebooky kind of thing that I created for people that energy generating habits to stay focused and productive. When you look at a power plant, for example, it doesn't have energy, it generates it. So we've got get to be intentional every single day to generate energy to avoid getting burnt out. And so I think I have six things on here. First one is a morning routine. Six things you can do to generate energy for your relationships and life. A morning routine wipes out 20% of stress and brings positivity to the day. Now I have a morning routine that I absolutely love. Working out isn't always gets to be a part of it, but there are certain things that I say and do in the shower, the cold shower blast for 15 seconds, saying my mantra in the shower and having some quiet time for 10 to 15 minutes to sit and create my intention for the day and to show gratitude. That's like a given no matter what. Number two, 50 minute strategic resets. When you reset, everything shifts. You can reset and set an intention. For example, after we're finished having a discussion, I get to do a recording for my show. Now, I'm not going to go straight into it. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to get some water. I'm going to maybe do a two-minute little intention setting release meditation technique. Or sometimes I just jump up and down like a crazy person or chase the dog around. If I feel like my wagon is dragging, as they say, then I got to do something for energy. If I feel that I'm carrying too much energy and then the next thing, then I do something to release energy. So it depends on what I need, but I have something I can do for that. That takes five minutes tops, if that much. Eating to fuel and recover. We talked about this earlier. We need a performance diet, a diet that's built for our performance during the day, not a diet that is in reaction mode to us getting hangry, the Snickers commercial. The first thing that goes in my calendar is lunch. The first thing that I put in my calendar is lunch. And then everything else get built around that. Now, sometimes the time of day varies depending upon what I have scheduled, but it is blocked out one hour for me to just do whatever I need to do, but also to sit down, have a nutritious meal. That's the beauty of working at home without rushing it. Because that's a part of me not getting on Zoom and belching all over people as well. The fourth thing is to work out at least five times a week. Now, I'm not going to the gym and getting all sweaty. But what I did, even before COVID, but really revved up during COVID, was I've got a little mini trampoline. And my workouts, I got my old school Motown playlist that my husband absolutely hates but I can plug in and bounce around the Stevie Wonder for 15 minutes every morning. And that just makes me happy. Got a little Bill Withers on there. And when you think about high performance, high performers work out, they move, they activate. I also do brain supplementation. So what I mean by that is how I treat my brain, what I intentionally put into my brain. I read voraciously and I have three reasons to read for education, personal development, and entertainment. And I am very, very careful of what my brain consumes, especially what time of day it consumes it. I also am intentional in resting my brain, making sure I take, what is that, neuromagnesium or something to nourish my brain. And meditation is a part of feeding your brain. 
And then finally, and I think this is one of the most important other than number one is the morning routine is your sleep routine. You got to have seven to eight hours of sleep to optimize your performance because your brain needs that rest. But here's the best way to get optimal sleep. It's a three, two, one rule. No food three hours before bed. No work two hours before bed. And no screens one hour before bed. And that's how you can train your body to get optimal sleep. So for me, the no food three hours before bed, no problem. I started doing that a long time ago. That is definitely part of my routine. No work two hours before bed, usually not a problem. I really try to leave my computer at the office and not do work on my phone when I come home. When I come home, unplug. Obviously, occasionally that doesn't work out, but that is my intention. The screen part is where I get challenged. And I love to watch TV and I love to play games on my phone. And so training myself, obviously, I also love to read. Remember those books made out of paper? <laughs> I have them right here. The huge bookcase full of yeah. them. Girl, you know what? I feel you. My husband and I, Netflix and chill every night, every night. But I usually end up leaving him down there because he's a screen person and I'm not his coach. So I don't get paid enough to coach my husband. There's no amount of money in the world where I'll take that out. And I go upstairs and what I usually do for my nighttime reading is People Magazine. That is my guilty pleasure. I find recipes in there. I find skincare. Oh, hair care product. Oh, let me try it really is mindless reading. They've got that little brain teaser where find 10 differences in this picture. That's what I do at bedtime because it helps me wind down because normally we're watching something on Netflix that is probably murderous or something. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I need to really, for my cortisol levels, stop doing that. Maybe just watch comedy. But the last 30 to 50 minutes is reading. And then my husband makes his way into bed. And then we have our final discussion and tickle the dog and all kinds of things that happen in those last 10 minutes before, you know, get your minds out of the gutter, people, <laughs> before we turn off the lights. But it's a routine. And one of the things we do as a reset, he and I have a weekly reset. When we go to a local coffee shop, it's the cutest little European coffee shop ever. And they have dog biscuits for the dog. I meet them there every Sunday at around 9 a.m. And my husband and I are in business together. We own a real estate company together. We don't talk business. We talk dreams. And sometimes it'll be, if we were to move, what is a non-negotiable in a house for you? What do you have to have? Or I'll dream about my closet that I want. Or the kitchen. And we talk about, do we want an island? Don't we? What color is it going to be? Like really nonsensical stuff. Vacations we want to take. Like we're getting ready to leave for Europe in the two weeks, for six weeks. And so we get to dream about, we have an apartment in Berlin. And so like, is this a year we get a new couch or no? <laughs> Sometimes it's like, how are we going to get the money to do that? And then we get creative, but it's our create and dream moment. That's a weekly reset. Because you need to have a daily reset, a weekly reset, a monthly reset, and a yearly reset. I love that. And whether we're married or not, whether we have partners or not, we can do that with a friend. We can do it with ourselves. 
Yeah, I have accountability buddies. I do that with too. We end our accountability on what's your commitment for fun this week? I love that. I love thinking about both being intentional and being fun and not taking it seriously. Like, okay, so let's dream about a future house. This is nothing about like we need to move. This is nothing about I'm not happy. This is just like what's next. Right. Or even what's next in the next life. No, no, we do it for this life and we make it happen. It's not tight dreams. It's like, okay, how are we going to make this happen? And then we plan it out. What needs to happen? What do we need to sell? How much money do we need to make? Who do we need to kill to make sure that this happens? <laughs> of course, I'm joking, guys. But no, when we dream, we're planning real dreams. Yeah, I got no control of what happens in the next life, so I'm not going to worry about it. It's really being in present creation. And so it's like, where are we going to move to? What's the next state for us? I mean, one day we sat there and we're like, such a nice day. What are we going to do? And all of a sudden, both of us realized we're an hour from Napa. People get on a plane to take a vacation in Napa. We could just get in the car and drive for an hour and we're there. And we loaded up the car with just me and my husband and I and the dog. And we spent a day in Sonoma and we did a hike. And then we ended that hike wine tasting. And then we walked around Sonoma Square and got ice cream and laid down a blanket and just laid down and took a quick nap before we drove home. And I'm like, we have to take care of this before we leave California. The fun part about dreaming is, for me anyway, other people are different, is really figuring out how we're going to make these dreams come true. Neat. I was thinking like we can dream about things that we actually have no intention of making happen. But your idea is let's dream about things and then create intention. Yeah. How are we going to do this? So yeah, we're in the process of finding a way to leave California. We're just not 100% decided on where. So that's when the fun trips come in and let's check out different areas and see where we're going. And we make it an adventure. And I think the more that we can view life as an adventure, as a possibility, as an opportunity to learn new things, be in relationships with new people, reach outside of our comfort zone, get comfortable with being a little uncomfortable. I think that that's when the richness of life reveals itself. And it's also important, I'll add to that, have something to look forward to. A lot of us lost vision when the lockdown happened and leaders, true leaders in today's world, keep their eye on the vision. Regardless of what challenges are coming up around them now, they look at the bigger vision, the bigger picture. And you may not get there today or tomorrow or the next year even, but you always want to make steps to get closer to what that vision is for you. And that's how I view my life. I don't want to be like, okay, this is it. I'm settled. This is everything. For me personally, I love to be in creation energy. So if I got to my dream, my dream wasn't big enough. So I get to dream bigger. I want to die still reaching for my dreams. And whatever I get to create along the way is part of the fun of life and the adventure. And so looking forward to what our next house looks like, I'm like a senior in high school now. I've already checked out of the one I'm in. Okay, I don't even want to clean it anymore because we're going to be moving. And we may not move for a year or two. Who knows? But like, 
I've got senioritis now. The carpet is disgusting. We got to rip, you know, like I see everything wrong with the house I'm in now (laughs) because I'm already planning and seeing myself in the new house. And we've got to keep our ability to be focused on the vision, but that's where the clarity comes in. Does the vision you have for your life match your reality today? And what do you need to get there? What do you need to prioritize so that your actions support your goals and your vision? Because that's when we get like, I don't know what to do. I can't decide or we do everything. Shiny object syndrome, right? But once you're clear on what the vision is, what the goal is, you can make decisions easier. Like, nope, that's going to distract me and move me away from my vision. I'm only going to say yes to things that get me closer to it. And then it's easy to create that boundary to say no. I am realizing we are fast creeping up on an hour here, which is one of the things that happens when I get with people that I so enjoy and that I get to have these fun and rich and enlivening conversations with and learn new things and grow and challenge ourselves and our audience together. So thank you, Eva. Thank you for sharing your dreams. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your experience. Thank you for sharing some great tips and tricks. And thank you for who you are to me. Of course, my pleasure. And thank you for having me on the show. It was really such a fun conversation. We could dream together and vision together forever. (laughs) And we will. will. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So here's to your dreams and your visions. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been the cost of not paying attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. I'm the